0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. And uh, yes, today we are talking about money. So welcome, Freedom Church. Hey, Freedom Church, it's good to be together, even though we're apart. It's good to be in this way, to be able to meet up. Talking about our well-being, we want our church community to be well, to be following God's best for your lives. And today we're talking about God's uh, plan for your financial well-being. And you remember, if you go back a few weeks, uh, we've had our dashboard of dials, and we've said we want you to be uh, well in every area of your life, whether that be your relationships, uh, your emotional, your physical, your spiritual, relational. Today that finances and next week, the final week, as we look at our vocation and our calling. What is our calling God has put on our lives? And we are journeying together on this as a church family. And so we have got about a hundred and 2,530 people in connect groups uh, who've all got hold of that book, God's Plan for Your Wellbeing. Hope you're enjoying reading that and learning from that and benefiting from the lessons that Dave Smith has put in that book. And so I want us to learn today around what does it mean to be financially well. You know, this is not some kind of self-help course. I'm not going to give you uh, five things. If you do this, you'll be, you know, financially sorted for life. Uh, worry not. Um, this is free. Uh, but this is about us finding, discovering the shalom of God, the wellness of God, the wholeness of his presence of God with us, his spirit, because God is a source of our well-being. He is the source. And I know that when we start talking talk about money, it gets a bit tricky. And people start to get a bit quiet. Maybe where you're watching this right now, it gets a little bit quiet in the room and goes, oh, it's the kind of we need some more money for the church coffers conversation. It's going to be a little bit awkward. Uh, All those kind of things, a bit of worry about what are they going to say, what's going to come up today. But this is all about your well being, being well. Let me ask you a question Who feels better when the sun is shining? Thank you, studio audience. Wonderful. Uh, it does, everyone feels better. Everything seems better when it's sunny, when it's beautiful, the weather's great. Let me ask you another question. Who feels better when you have more in your bank account than what you actually need? Yeah! It's not a trick question. We generally feel better when we have enough to cover that which we need. And vice versa, we feel under stress when we don't have enough um, at month at the end of our money, and we're struggling to know where will it all come from. And I know this is actually a really uh, concerning issue for many people. Our financial well-being affects so much of our lives. And I would love this to be the story of, of Freedom Church being free in our finances. You know, if you're struggling financially, it will affect your sleep. You won't be able to sleep very well because you're worried about what might be happening with your finances. What's going to come as you try and pay that big bill that's come through the door. And and as we learned a few weeks ago around physical well-being, if we're not sleeping well, it will affect the rest of our lives. It will affect our emotional well-being. We'll wake up, we'll all be snappy and grumpy and we'll have a knock-on effect to our family, our friends, our colleagues. And before we know it, it damages relationships One of the the main reasons people go through a divorce is often cited as finances. How finances are managed and the challenge of handling them together in a couple. And so our financial well-being is really, really important. If we get it right, the knock-on effect is really helpful and healthy. And as I just said, I want Freedom Church, a place that is financially well, financially healthy. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm talking about people who actually have a good handle of their finances. Because if we are financially free, we can be generous with what we've been given. We can be good stewards of what God has given to each one of us. And we can use that money wisely and well. And it means we'll have a church that sleeps well and has emotionally well and is good in their relationships. So the knock-on effect is so important when we talk about the area of money. And I also want to say this as well. Financial well-being is more than about having money in the bank. You know, having a million pound check given to you will not make you financially well. It may make you financially well off, but it doesn't mean that you will then be well. Many people with lots of money don't handle it very well. Finances are very, very spiritual. They're incredibly spiritual. How you spend your money makes a statement about what is most valuable to you. And how you use your, your money and your earnings tells a story. So in the same way, if, if financial well-being is a road we want to walk down, there are two ditches on each side of the road. And one of those is the issue of having a poverty mindset of thinking I need to be really tight with money. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm uncertain of the future. And so I will hold on to the money so tightly and I'll be so thrifty with my money that actually my fear of money controls my life. And the other side of the road, the other ditch, is the ditch of extravagance, of materialism, of of worship of money. If only I had the latest uh, brand, the latest item of clothing, the the latest, um, you know, kind of car or accessory or jewellery, or if I could go on that luxury holiday, or, you know, if I could just get that next house up the ladder, and then I'll be okay. And money is then controlling us by what we desire And it's owning us, and it's taking control of our passion and our worship. And those two extremes are just as unhealthy as each other. Because either way, our money is controlling our well-being. You know, God promises to be our provider. He is our father who loves to look after his children. Jehovah Jireh is one of the Hebrew words for God and that word there Jehovah Jireh means God the one that provides. In fact the Hebrew there is even more specific, it's to see beforehand. God sees your need before you know you've got it. The word there is provider, pro video, it's before you see and so God is looking at you and he knows your needs before you know what you need. Isn't that amazing? God is already there going, yeah, I know what you need. I just want you to ask. I want us to be in relationship. I want us to work together on this. God is caring for every need you have. He's interested in every aspect of your life. So as we dive into this week's story of Elijah... I want you to go to 1 Kings 17. And 1 Kings 17, which is a couple of chapters back from where we were uh, last week, where this is the story of Elijah, who is in his time where he's gone to the king, King Ahab. And he said, right, three years, there's gonna be no rain. We're going for a drought season until God says otherwise. And at that time, If you were in a drought, then that was an economic disaster. No rain means no harvest. No harvest means no food, means lots of people starving without any kind of way of feeding themselves or their families. This is a terrible situation. And Elijah was told by God in verse 3 to go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. I've commanded them to bring you food in One Kings seventeen, and so there's this kind of moment where the ravens, birds, dirty birds in Jewish mindset, you know, they would actually be bringing these, these food of, of meat and bread and and water from the river, like an early kind of Deliveroo or Uber Eats coming to uh, Elijah's every need. And so Elijah did as the Lord told him and he camped beside Kerith and the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening and he drank from the brook. He had all that he needed. It might have been basic, but he had what he needed. In a drought, I'm sure he was very grateful for what he had. And I want to teach you today two principles around financial well-being. And the first one, the one that Elijah learned here is, number one, choose contentment. Choose contentment. Choose to be contented whatever you have. This is like a financial superpower. Here's the thing, right? Every advert tries to sell you something that you don't have. It tells you you should be discontented because what you have right now is not enough. You try writing an advert for someone who is contented who has got all that they need. It's very hard to sell a new product to somebody who is content. Contentment is a a financial superpower and you can say, look, I'm okay. I've got what I need. I'm happy with what God has given to me. It's an amazing ability to be content, whatever your lot. And at this moment, Elijah in Kerith Brook, he was content with what he'd got. You might be going, well, I want to be complaining. I mean, these ravens, you know, these birds bringing me food twice a day. It's beating their claws. It's a bit grim. But it was provision. It was basic. And Elijah was content. You know, financial well-being is all about our attitude. And it starts with thankfulness. It starts with being content. And God, I'm so thankful for everything I've got. It may not be all that I want, but it is all that I need. And I'm so contented with what you have given to me. Choose contentment. People that moan about their circumstances are financially unwell. People do moan, but if only I had that raise, if only I had nicer food on the table, if only I could afford that clothing, if only I could afford the next car up the line, then there will always be a problem. But choose contentment. Say, I am glad to have what I've got. I'm glad what God has given to me. And I encourage you, say to yourself right now, choose contentment. I choose contentment. Write it in the chat. Say to someone next to you, I choose contentment. I choose to be someone who's glad for all that I have got. And, and here's the thing as well about contentment. It's a choice and it's a secret and it's a skill you can learn. It's a skill you can learn. You can learn to be content. In fact, it says in the Bible in Philippians 4, the writer there, Paul, says these brilliant words. He says this, I have learned. Everyone say learned. Everyone say learned. <laughs> learned. Thank you. Underlined there. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content. I know, he says, what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this, these things, through him who gives me strength he's saying that I've had it all. I've had loads. I've had nothing. I've had plenty of food. I've gone hungry. But in all these things I've chosen, I've learned the skill, the secret of being content. And at the end there, one of the most famous misquoted verses, he says, I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. And that verse, what he's saying is that list of challenges. I can be content In all those things, whether I have hardships or whether I have plenty, I can do all those things because Christ is the one that gives me strength. And and that verse is often taken out of context. What he's saying is, it is Jesus with me that enables me to choose contentment. It's not easy to be content where things are not going your way. This is not a simple thing to do, but it is a practice that we can learn and we can be content. We can choose to be content. And Christ gives us strength. To be content whatever our circumstances. I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. I know you might think, Well, if only had a little bit more, if I had a small amount more, then I would be satisfied. Can I say really clearly, it's not true it's a lie if you always if you're always thinking if only i had the next thing you will never be satisfied with what you do have today and you will be you'll be frustrated and disappointed with what you do have today you'll be you'll be annoyed by your present circumstances rather than enjoying and being content with what god has given you right now financial freedom is being content let me just throw at you a few other little uh, kind of financial comments as we're talking about this subject and there is so much we can do. Um, but I had a, a guy come to my youth group when I was a teenager, a guy called Andrew Parfit. And he spoke to us as a teenager and gave us such practical advice that I have made notes of. And I have developed and used all of my adult life thanks to his input. So things like this. Don't impulse buy. Got a bit quiet in the studio here. I don't always like where you're watching it from. Don't just grab the thing. You know, especially, and I, I'm speaking to myself, you know, the Aldi middle aisle. You know, you go to get a loaf of bread and you come out with a trouser press because you think one day that might be useful because it was a special offer. And, and why do we do that? We pick up these things. Oh, that that would look good. I'd like to buy that. Don't impulse buy. Walk away. Count to 10. Speak to your spouse or family or look at your budget or pray and say, God, is this really something I need or just something I once. Don't impulse buy. Uh, Secondly, do budget. Get yourself a budget. Plan out your expenditure. What is your income? What is your outgoings? We've got people who've run the Cap Money course here at Freedom Church, and I know they would love to help you work out a budget. If you want to get in touch with us, um, we would love to help you any way that we can to get you up and running with your finances. Do budget. Do manage your finances. And don't just borrow to pay for things that you can't afford. And then borrow some more to pay for it. I'll get that car. It's on such a great deal on a monthly. Ignore the balloon payment that's coming. That's three years down the line. We'll work that when we get to it. Don't do that. Plan. Don't just borrow. Think about your finances carefully. And if you do get into debt, get help. We've got a CAP debt centre here and they would love to help you. Even if you're a small amount of debt, get help. The average person spends years before they come to see us at the CAP Debt Centre. And often their finances are getting worse and worse and worse. And if people came straight away, there's more chance of helping them than if it gets to the point where it's actually really quite tr- uh, difficult to undo. So do uh, do get yourself help if you are in debt. And a couple more things. Uh, things will always go wrong. There's always something. Plan for it. You know, cars do break down. Washing machines do break. Kids need more school uniform. You know, shoes get wrecked and need new ones. All that stuff happens. It happens. Plan for it. Save for it. Prepare for it. Just make sure you've got a way of providing for those emergency needs then do save. Save your finances. Put money to one side. When you do that, you become the master of your money rather than the slave of your debt. It makes such a difference. I know there's just some quick wins there, but just for you to make notes on and to consider. And a book I would recommend, there's plenty out there, but there's a great book by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. And it helps understand the spiritual dynamic, how we use our finances for good. Anyways, a few little thoughts for us there. But let contentment be your brand. Let it be the one thing you're known for. People know you as someone who's content with what you've got. You cannot buy contentment, but you can learn to be content. So the first thing is choose contentment. Second principle, we're going to do two today. The second principle from 1 Kings 17. A really strange little story it is about uh, putting God first. And in this story, you have Elijah. He goes to Zarephath, the brook dries up and God sends him to Zarephath, a little village. And he said, I'm going to send you a widow to look after you. And he meets this widow who's collecting these sticks. And he says to her, could you get me some water? And she said, "Yes, yeah, sure. And as she goes to get the water, he says, oh, could I have some bread as well? A seemingly innocuous request for hospitality. And she turns to him and this really sad story comes to light. And she said, I swear to you. That by God, I have nothing left. I'm literally collecting up these few sticks. I'm going to light a fire. I'm going to make a meal with all that I have left and have my son and I will have our last meal. And then we are going to die of starvation. That's her final meal. As she meets Elijah, the drought is kicking. It's been a number of years now and suddenly they are without. And Elijah says to this woman, and this is a moment, I mean, it almost feels a bit sick. He says to her, he says, don't be afraid. Go make your meal, but let me have the first meal. And then you can have whatever's left over. And when I read those stories, I'm like going, Elijah, you are not a very kind man. I mean, surely you say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'll ask someone else for help. Or maybe you go, can I give you some money? Or at least you make your meal first and I'll have the leftovers. But Elijah, give me the first and then God will provide the leftovers. And it's a stunning story where, where this woman does, she, she obviously realises this man is a man of God, he's a prophet, he's speaking prophetically of what's going to happen, and she makes him a meal. And she gives him her last meal and ingredients. And what happens? The woman's food never runs out. It survives, it manages, and, and God's provision is so much greater than if she had just taken what she needed for herself. Because this is principle number two, give God your first, give God your best. If you give God your first, he will take care of the rest. He will take care of all of your needs. What we tend to do is we go, I tell you what, God, I'll wait till the end of the month and see what's left, and I'll give you my remaining Crumbs. I'll give you what's left in my pockets. I'll give you what I've got at the end rather than I want to give you my first. And the principle in God's economics is that we give first because God wants something far more for you than he wants money from you. This is not about God getting money from you. He's got plenty of stuff. He just wants you to learn something about how you handle your finances. That when we give God our first, we're honouring him. We're saying, God, you're the most important thing in our lives. And we are trusting you with the rest of our lives. We're trusting you with the rest of the month rather than actually waiting until the end to see what's left to give to God. And we're choosing to be honouring God and it's good for us. God could have sent an angel to provide hot cakes for Elijah. But he wanted Elijah to learn the lesson, to learn the principle of giving God your first. God's economics are different to ours. We think we can always just manage with what we have and then we'll give God the leftovers. But God says, give me your first. Proverbs 3 says these words, honour God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. I don't know if you've got a barn or a wine vat. Maybe you're taking out winemaking at home in lockdown. I don't know. But I know this. That if you give God your first and if you honour him with what you do have, he will give you more than you need. This is a story that we have experienced, Lottie and I, for all of our married life. For for 25 years, next month, we'll have been married in July. I know, come on. (laughs) But for 25 years of we've had the principle of giving our first to God. We bring it as a tie, the principle we believe in, we teach here at Freedom Church, that bring your first to the church because we're giving it to God through our local community, that our place of belonging, our place where we go. This is the place where we meet with God and meet with one another and we give our finance. We always have done. And our story after 25 years is we may not have had everything we wanted, but we've had everything we have needed and more we have been blessed beyond measure and our story over many many years is a story as we've given to god first we have never been without god has been good to us he's been kind to us he's been generous to us and we can celebrate and say that is true after not just a couple of months but over 25 years that's our story And for us separately, before we were married, that's something we did as individuals. And this is an important principle. Give God your giving first. And we do that through our local church. I want to say this at this point. The church of Freedom Church, you have been incredible over lockdown. You have been amazing. Your giving has blown me away. Back last year, I thought, you know what, we're going to hit some, some troubles, I, I guess. We're going to have some challenges. We might have to redo our budget. We might have to look at maybe our structuring, our, our staff team. But you have given and you have given and you have given. You know, you've all been generous and not just to the, the work of the church, but the work of the food bank and Freedom Matters and our debt service. Your giving and generosity has been incredible. And I'll say thank you so much. Those who have sustained your giving and continue to giving. And, and I also want to say thank you to those who joined us in this last period, who started giving, who've joined the church, watching online, and then started to give regularly to the work of Freedom Church. Your generosity is incredible. But what's more important here, your honouring of God and giving your first means that God will look after all of your needs according to His riches. Not according to what's left over in your bank, but according to His riches. So there are two things to learn here. One is choose contentment. Secondly, that we need to be people that give God our first. That's what we do. And the last thing, I'll just quote this from John Wesley, who gave this sermon in 1789, a famous sermon entitled The Use of Money. He said this in 1789. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's what you do with it that is important. Earn all you can. Be successful. Do the best you can with the gifts and skills and talents God's given you. Save it all so you can be generous and you can give beyond possible means. And we honour God with our money and our finances. God does not mind us having money. He just minds money having us. He's after our hearts. And he doesn't want our hearts to be stolen by our finances. And if you're ever in doubt... Acts 20 says this about Jesus. He said these words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Are you ever unsure what to do with your money, it's always better to give than to receive. God bless you. Let me just pray for us before I hand back to the worship team. Father God, I thank you for the gift of money. Thank you as a tool that we can use to do great things with it. Lord, we are sorry. sometimes we have become uh, sort of sucked into that world of either materialism or having a poverty mindset and ending up in one of those ditches. Father God, we pray you'd help us to be a generous church family, to be ones that give before we want to receive, that are content with what we have, that say, God, you are the most important thing in our lives. We're going to give to you financially and we honour you with all that we have. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you.